my home church had English pea green carpet and pew cushions with different shades of English pea green paint on the walls. The whole thing, the carpet, the pews, the paint, multiple shades, and it was awful, okay? It was awful, it was awful. But when I was a kid, we finally decided that we were gonna change. Uh, we, were, we were gonna update the paint color, get rid of those pew cushions and that carpet. I, I, it's funny how the things you remember, right? I remember we decided to paint the walls almond white, which is a fancy way to say off-white. Um, but it was almond white. That sounded so classy. And, uh, but we had to decide what color pew cushions and what color carpet we were going to have. And we were Baptists, so that means that we were going to have an after-church business meeting on Sunday night so all the newcomers could stick around and watch us argue about carpet. Um, Anybody ever grow up? Anybody, anybody else grow up in one of those? Some of you watching there? Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, so I'll, I'll never forget, we, we, we get to the big moment, the big vote, and the chair of the decorating committee, because we had a decorating committee, uh, was making the presentation and the recommendation for what color carpet that the committee uh, had recommended. And the church voted it down and chose another carpet color. No, yeah. And I'll never forget the chair of the decorating committee who had been a longtime member, a longtime leader in the church, slammed his folder, walked out to his left, and never came back. Now, I was a kid. All right, so I'm certain of this, now looking back and been in ministry for over 20 years, that there, were some, there was some undermining going on, that were, there was some backstory, there were some church politics, there was some, probably some ugly conversations that happened before that. Now I know that there was more stuff happening probably behind the scenes that led to that one moment where it blew over. But I just remember as a kid thinking, are we Christians really arguing about carpet but you've been there right you've seen people in conflict over the silliest things my name is Carter McInnes I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop and uh, so grateful for those of you I know many of you are joining maybe you couldn't get out this morning I know we got so many that are quarantining um, and for those of you that made it out on uh, not the most beautiful day in Birmingham but it's a beautiful day to be uh, in the Lord's house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. And I wanted to share with you uh, in this series that th that story reminded me that there is no organization on planet earth immune from conflict, right? There's no family. The church isn't immune from it. There's no family immune from conflict, uh, it, it can happen anywhere. Conflict happens. Maybe it happened to you over the holidays. That's one of the times stress is high, uh, we're sleep deprived, it's easy to get in conflict over the holidays. Maybe it happened on the way to church. You ever done one of those? You like screaming at each other in the car on the way over here and you slam the real, hey, how are you? Good, good to see you, God bless you. <laughs> Maybe it's happened over the pandemic, about the pandemic. Maybe it's happened over politics. Maybe it's happened over the politics of the pandemic. 
Maybe you've gone into conflict over something real serious, like somebody claiming that Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than Chick-fil-A's, and we're Christians. I mean, Birmingham, we know that Saul's Barbecue has the best chicken sandwich, right? I mean, listen, if you're watching, you're out of state, you've got to come try Saul's. Uh, it, the whole world is conflicted. That's all social media is. It's one big conflict after another, and sometimes we're the cause of it. We hardly go a day without encountering it at home, at work, in traffic, at the coffee shop, if you're a student, at school. When I see that color, it reminds me <laughs> of conflict. So um, here's what I know to be true. Nobody likes conflict. A lot of people say, I, I hear this, con, uh, this, this comment a lot. People say, like, oh, I hate conflict. Well, the truth is everybody hates it, right? No one likes conflict. No one wakes up on any given morning and says, man, can't wait for that moment today. I finally dive into some conflict, right? I can't wait for that moment at work. I can't wait till me and my spouse have some conflict. I can't wait till I get into some conflict with my parents or with my kids today. It's just looking forward to that moment when some conflict finally comes. Nobody says that. In fact, most of us fall into a few different categories. Some people try to just avoid conflict. Right? You try to avoid it at all costs. You steer clear of it. So you don't, you don't speak your mind when something bothers you because you're trying to avoid conflict. Right? You just say, like, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers because I don't want con any conflict. I, I'm not going to speak my mind because I don't want conflict. It's easy to do this. You kind of become a doormat that everybody runs over, and you just let them run over you because you'd rather get run over than be in conflict. Have some of you lived that? You just felt that thing that you're just going to do anything possible to avoid conflict. We just stay out of situations, avoid it at all costs. Some of us don't avoid it. We dodge conflict. When it comes, we run the other way. If you get conflict at work, you get another job. You get conflict in a relationship, you find somebody else to date. You get conflict at church, Find another church. And you just dodge it. And you just, whenever conflict comes, it doesn't matter who it's between, you bail because you would rather go find another, another job, another boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, another church than actually have to deal with conflict. Instead of walking through it, we dodge it. Last week, uh, Jake Davis, our college and creative pastor, he talked about the very first conflict in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the first few chapters of the Bible. For the next four weeks, we're going to jump over to the New Testament because there's some really clear teaching in the New Testament from Jesus, Jesus' brother James, the Apostle Paul. They all talked about, and it's not a matter of if uh, it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen. And deep down, we know that our lives and maybe our week aren't, uh, they're going to include some conflict. And I think God even expects it. And that's why in his word, he teaches us not how to avoid it or not how to dodge it. He teaches us how to handle conflict, how to handle it. And I just want to tell you, if, if you, if we will do this, your life will be so much better. You'll be so much more aligned with the life that God wants you to have if you and I can learn how to handle conflict. I want you to be good at this because God wants you to be good at this because it seemed like an important thing for Jesus to teach on. We're going to look at two passages in the book of Matthew today 
Jesus teaching directly on conflict. New Testament writers wrote about it again and again, and this is a part of being a disciple of Jesus. And it's part of my job and part of our mission to equip people to follow Jesus out in the world. Come on, church, if all we do is come here and sing songs, and all we do is come here and raise our hands and listen to a message and walk outside the doors, and it has no impact in how we interact with people, what are we doing? What are we doing? The gospel is not just about getting us into heaven. It is about getting heaven into us and transforming our lives and how we interact with people every single day, in every moment, in every walk of life, in every little and big conflict. That's what this is about. It's about us learning how to walk with Jesus in those. If we would do this, we would be different. The world would look at us and they would say, they're, they're different. I, I believe that handling conflict is a sign, and this is really what this series is about, is a sign of spiritual maturity. I think if you see someone who doesn't handle conflict well, and they call themselves a follower of Jesus, then I would tell you that that person is not very spiritually mature. But if you, find, you show me a follower of Jesus who knows how to handle conflict and knows how to walk with non-believers through conflict and knows how to deal with believers in conflict, I'm going to tell you something. You have found someone who is spiritually mature. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to get better at this as Christians if we're going to be serious about growing deep as followers of Jesus and growing deep in discipleship. It's about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity that looks a little like this. A couple of months ago, I was uh, scrolling through Facebook, and I read a, a post. And you ever read a post, and you're like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't like where this is going. Right? It was kind of long, and I was like, oh, boy. Because it's from a pastor that is kind of an acquaintance. I, we've met once or twice. I don't know him that well, but I really respect him. And uh, he's in totally another state, very far away. But really respect him, respect his work and what he's doing. And he usually handles himself real well. So when I began reading this, because I've read posts like this a lot in the last couple of years, and I thought, oh, this is, this is not good. And this, oh, no. Right? You read those? I w but but just wait. This is what he said. I just copied and pasted it. I wanted to read it to you. Had breakfast this morning at a fast food restaurant. I was second in the indoor line. It took the person in front of me about five full minutes to order because the cashier had to ask for help three times, and then their order was wrong, extending the turnaround time to seven minutes. The person behind me gave up and left the restaurant. Okay, you know where this is going, right? You've had an encounter like this in the last two years, right? Because fast food restaurants can't find workers. 
They can't find employees. There's, there's not only supply chain issues with every industry because of the pandemic, there is work chain issues. They're struggling. They got new employees. They don't know what you're doing. If, come on, be honest with me. Have you been in line, in, the, in, a, in a checkout line, indoors or in the drive-thru, and just frustrated with fast food restaurant service in the last two years? Right? How'd you handle it? That's a little conflict. You know that? That's a little conflict. I thought, oh man, my brother's gonna, this is gonna be bad. When it became clear that I was on the seven minutes to order train, the person taking my order looked down and said, I'm new, sorry. Now what's gonna happen next? What's he gonna say next? What do you do next in that conflict? Well, maybe you should get some, some help. You know, maybe you should have trained better. How are you going to handle that conflict? least you could do is give me my meal for free. And he said, I responded, you will get this. Hang in there. Thanks for working. We're good. And when I left, I told the crew, thank you for being open and for a great breakfast. Be kind, folks. Be patient. We will get through this. And I know this is weird. I know this is weird. I wept when I read that. I just thought, God, I want to be that kind of person. That's, that's what the world needs. All of us. What if we could be that? That is spiritual maturity. That's somebody who knows how to handle a little conflict of a seven-minute fast food order. Jesus talked about, con, uh, talk, talked about this. And, and, and the reason this is so important is I believe, that this, I believe this is the most important thing for evangelism in our world today. I believe this is the most important thing for evangelism in our world today because here's what I believe. That if Christians will handle conflict the right way, we'll stand out for the right reasons. Have you ever noticed that Christians sometimes stand out for the wrong reasons? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that sometimes we stand out, we say this one thing, so one of the reasons we say we're for Birmingham, we want to be known about what we're for and not by what we're against. Oftentimes we stand out for the wrong reasons. But if we will handle conflict the right way, because in a conflicted and divided and divisive and bickering world, Man, there's one surefire way to stand out, that we handle conflict the right way. So Matthew, who was a disciple of Jesus, he recorded these two instances of Jesus talking about conflict, and they're so super practical. They're like, I mean, so you're going to read them, and we're going to read them together, and you're like, well, that, that doesn't even seem very spiritual. Like, these are the words of Jesus, but I love it. Don't you love it that Jesus gives practical application for how to live our lives outside the walls of the church? I mean, this is like, it's so practical. It's like advice when you leave for college, but it's not your granddad. It's Jesus. It's great. It's like, hey, when you're dealing with people, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. So the first example, if you got your Bibles, you got your app, or you're at home there, is in Matthew chapter 5. It says this, starting in verse 23. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, 
if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. If you, if you let's go back to that, that slide before. If you're there in church, if you're at church, but you remember you've got a personal relationship that's got a problem. What, what Matthew says there and what, Jesus, what Matthew records that Jesus says is that when we go worship privately, it should remind us that we are public people. We have relationships. It is not just about me and God. It is about me and God and us and all the us's we will encounter this week. It is about all of us. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Jesus says, if you're right or they're right. It doesn't matter who, who thinks they were in the wrong. It doesn't matter if you think they were in the wrong. Jesus just says, if you have, if if you if they have something against you, we're so obsessed with being right and standing our ground, aren't we? Speaking the truth. What do you think Jesus is going to say? If I mean, if you remember that someone has something against you, stand your ground. Don't back down. Fire off a very wordy email. Tweet at them. What's he going to say? If you go to church, Jesus says, and while you're there and you're worshiping, you got your hands raised, the whole service, and you remember that you've got something going on with someone who's not there, Jesus says, leave. Take your hands out of the air and put them in your pocket and get your keys and leave. Leave your gift there, there in front of the altar. Jesus says, because your relationship with God is not just a vertical relationship, it is a horizontal relationship. It's as simple as this. Jesus says, our relationships with God impacts our relationship with others. If it doesn't, we're not doing it right. I, can I just give you a confession this week? We do run through on Thursday afternoons. I come in here with our tech team and our, our creative team, and I preach the sermon. So we make sure we got all the slides and all the prompts and everything down. We do right, we got such an incredible team here at Mountaintop. They're awesome, best I've ever worked with. I preach this sermon, and after I had to go to my office and send a text. Because I had somebody that I felt like I needed, I needed to make things right who had something against me. I felt like I had taken a wrong step with somebody. It convicted me so much. Because our relationship with God, it impacts our relationship with others. It's supposed to impact the way we deal with other people. Our relationship with God impacts our relationship with others. We should be more forgiving, more loving, more like him. Then Jesus says this. So leave. First go and be reconciled with them and then come offer your, your gift. Be reconciled with them. Do the work outside horizontally and then come back and worship me vertically. But if you want to worship me vertically, Jesus says the first move you got to make is to be reconciled with those around you. This word reconciled is interesting. The word in Greek is dialasso. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Now, the root word, alasso, 
is used countless times in the New Testament. It's the word for change. So almost any time you hear it's a beautiful word. It's used in some beautiful scriptures. Whenever you hear the word change, it's just got this rich meaning. It means to change. But Jesus here, it's the only time in the scripture that the D is in front of it, which for us is sort of like re. Jesus is almost like you need to rechange. Like you need to do it again. You, really what dialasso means is change again. To reconcile this relationship, you need to go change again this relationship. You need to renew, redo, reorder, redefine your relationship. Jesus says you need to start at square one in that relationship. It needs to change again. Start at square one. And and. and and then Jesus closes with what I just sounds like good sound advice. This is like, I told you, it's so practical. Then Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Jesus said, don't fool around with this. You want this to happen personally, Jesus says. You don't want this to become political. This is, a, this is sage advice from Jesus to avoid court at all cost. In fact, here it seems to be Jesus' message. It's best to handle conflict before conflict gets the best of you. You better, Jesus says you better handle it while the spiritual temperature of the conversation is at least warm, but if it gets too hot and it gets out of your hands, then it's out of your control, buddy. Jesus says, I wouldn't do it. I would try to handle matters and handle them quickly. Keep the temperature low. Isn't that incredible, practical advice from a Savior who gave his life from us? In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about conflict one more time. And this time he talks about conflict between Christians, between brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm convinced of this, that if, the, if we would practice this, that it would change division in the greater church and change the way the world saw the church. I think it would change, it would impact all the divisions between denominations and, and, and all the different, all the infighting that's going on in what I call the big C church. And it would change the way the world saw the church if they saw us getting this right, it's so simple and it's very formulaic. Jesus basically gives four points. He says, okay, if you've got a conflict here, here's what you're supposed to do. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. So if you're in chapter five, flip over 13 chapters, right? Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Like if you got something going on with somebody, maybe they lied about you, they wronged you, whatever it is, you go and talk to them. Do you know how many problems would be solved if Christians had the spiritual maturity to do just what Jesus said? If we had the spiritual maturity to go to a brother or sister and go, hey, we need to talk. It's not easy to do. 
You see, it takes some spiritual maturity to do that. If we just said, hey, we need to talk. This means, this means, if we were obedient to this, this means we would not post on social media about some celebrity pastor because you don't know them and you haven't gone one-on-one with them and said, hey, we need to talk. And if you want to, write them a letter. I'll bet you can find the address to their church. That's at least a shot at one-on-one with someone who you don't know. We wouldn't, take, we wouldn't go to our small group and talk about this problem that's going on with somebody else at some other church or in our church. Or anything. We wouldn't do that. We would handle matters one-on-one. Did you know that this device that we have for the Internet and for texting also can make calls? Did you know that? Like there's a little thing, like beside the message button, there's a little button that looks like a phone. You hit that one, and it dials their number. And you just call them. You say, hey, you got a minute? I think we need to talk. Can we get together? Can we get our coffee? You got a minute now? Whatever, however you want to do it. I think we need to talk. Man, do you, I just think so many problems would be solved if we had the spiritual maturity when we have a problem with somebody to just go, hey, can we talk? And Jesus, he says, if you'll do this, then I love this. He goes, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Basically, Jesus says, great. See there? It worked. If they listen to you. But if they don't, step two. If they don't, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Jesus says, if they won't listen to you one-on-one, grab one or two others, and you make another call. Say, hey, can we talk again? I I don't think that I heard you well, and and I'm not sure you heard what I was trying to say. And I I just think that if we could invite another couple, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so in the conversation, you may have someone you would like to be in the conversation too. Like they're not as emotionally invested in this as you and I are and they can probably help us interpret what each other's saying and and maybe help us just keep the temperature of the conversation a little bit lower. Let's get together with a couple of others and talk. You pick one, I'll pick one. You pick two, I'll pick two. However you want to do it. Let's just get together. That takes a lot of spiritual maturity. Do you know how many problems in churches? I wonder. I don't know. I was a kid. I wonder if before that folder slammed and that deacon walked out the door, if there had been a conversation with four or five, I wonder if that would have solved a problem that was obviously about a lot more than carpet. Jesus says, "Um, but if that won't work, (laughs) if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Just bring everybody in, Jesus says. Bring everybody. Now, I believe if you'll follow step one and two, you'll almost never get to step three. And here's the thing you have to understand about step three. When Matthew's writing this, they're all house churches. I mean, they weren't thinking about hundreds of people. They weren't thinking about thousands of people. You will probably never walk in on a Sunday morning and us, like, have a conversation about a conflict here in front of everybody, right? 
Um, because I think if you'll follow step one and two, what, what Matthew is reiterating from Jesus' words is that the unity of the local body matters. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is that important that this impacts the whole body. And then Jesus closes it. And this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part of this practical four step. He's, uh, he's done three. And he says, and if they refuse... To listen even to the church. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And you can just see all those disciples are like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Be done with it. Jesus, I don't even have to have the first three because I know that so-and-so I got a conflict with. I'm just going to go ahead and treat them. We're going to be done with them. We treat them like a bunch of pagans, like a bunch of tax collectors. Of course, it's Matthew that's writing this. You know, I'm going to see kind of Matthew raise his hands. Guys, yeah. You, you remember the pagans that came and, yeah, smelled funny. But they had sick family members, and Jesus healed them. Oh, yeah. Guys, you remember Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Je uh, Jesus went to eat at Zacchaeus' house. And he just loved him anyway. Yeah, guess so. Guys, <laughs> Matthew says, guys, I was a tax collector. And Jesus came to my house and he invited me to follow him. I think Jesus is telling us guys that if they won't listen we should go eat with them and just love them anyway because that's what he did with this tax collector. Jesus' four steps to conflict are pretty easy. Handle it privately, handle it with a few, handle it with the group. And if none of that works, just love them anyway. Because that's how Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors. He healed their sick and went to have dinner at their house and loved them anyway. Is there a conflict that you need to not avoid or dodge, not run from? you need to handle personally to be reconciled, to pick up the phone or to send a text today. Not now, like before you leave this room and say, hey, we need to talk. Is there somebody you need to have a hard conversation with? Or is there somebody when you say, Carter, I've tried everything. Okay. Is it time for you to just do what Jesus commanded then? To just make up your mind to love them anyway. If Christians, I'm convinced of this, will handle conflict the right way, we will stand out for the right reasons. The whole world wants to get out pitchforks.
in every conflict, what would it look like if the church just opened our arms and said, we love you anyway? It's called spiritual maturity. It's called discipleship. It's called holiness. And friends, in a divided world, this planet is starving for it. Let's handle it the right way. And we will stand out for all the right reasons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, every one of us here has a confession that we don't always handle this right. We get our feathers ruffled. We, we get, you know, we, we, get, we get angry, upset. We get our feelings hurt. We say things we shouldn't. Lord, we want to be marked by people who handle this the right way. Who aren't afraid to have hard conversations because they are hard conversations rooted in a love them anyway spirit. So Lord, wherever we're at today, Lord, I pray that today we talk about a lot about healing happening in this place and through this place. I pray that your healing happens in relationships today. For conflict is no longer avoided or dodged. But today, it gets handled in the way that you commanded. In Jesus' name.